All right, on to the book of Acts. We are um, <laughs> in chapter 6, so if you want to turn in your Bible there or turn on your phone, uh, turn in your phone to uh, chapter 6, that would be great. Before we get to the text, I want to just refer you to a book that came out some years ago called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Maybe you've read this book or some of his other books. What he means by tipping point is this. This is how it's defined. It's a magic moment when a threshold is crossed and now there is a momentum like there was not before. Um, several weeks ago, maybe you watched the game, the, the Cleveland, I almost said Indians, the Cleveland Guardians were playing the White Sox. And uh, Josh Naylor, he hit seven RBIs in the last three innings of the game to beat the White Sox in extra innings. His bat proved to be the tipping point for the game. That's an illustration. They don't give this illustration in the book. The book aside, there are so many tipping points with which we could identify. Um, the, the Cleveland Browns are waiting for their tipping point franchise quarterback. That would be an example. I would imagine many of you in the room could look back in your life and identify a, a, a change you made, a move you made that ended up being the tipping point that, that changed the trajectory of your life, the course of your life completely. Uh, for, for me, it was 1983. I was working for Ohio State in agriculture in Licking County, Ohio. And uh, I, I knew in my heart I wanted to do some type of vocational ministry. I didn't want to keep doing what I did. But what do I do? I, no kidding. I, I don't know how I got the nerve to do this. But I took all my vacation, applied for a leave of absence without pay from Ohio State, and they gave it to me. And so for two months, I went and lived in northern Kenya with two guys doing agricultural reef, relief development type of work. Came back after that and met my wife. We got married and took off for seminary, and here I am today. I, wow, that took a lot more years than that, what I just said. Interestingly, this is on this tipping point weekend, interestingly, one of the two guys that I stayed with in northern Kenya, I have not seen either one for 39 years until last night, one of them came to stay with us this weekend. He's here this morning. His name's Dave. Hopefully you'll get to meet him. But he's one of the guys that was there for this tipping point in my life. Can you identify with that? One more tipping point. I feel like we need to say it on this weekend, but, you know, after what has happened in Texas and Buffalo and, oh, my goodness, I hope this can be a tipping point for our country to find some way to make this less likely to happen. We could go on and on talking about tipping points, but I want to get to Acts chapter 6, because in Acts chapter 6, we're going to find the tipping point for the church. It happened then, but it is, it is our reality now, and we'll get into that. Now, before we get to chapter 6, I need to give you some context um, by looking at the very end of chapter 5 leading into chapter 6, and this is what we read. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. Now the apostles are the ones who were selected by, they're the ones who, who witnessed the resurrected Lord, and they were sent and commissioned by Jesus to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God everywhere, nearby and far away. But if you read most of chapter 5, it's the apostles getting in trouble. They get thrown into prison, they get flogged, and they're told by the religious leaders, stop talking about Jesus. 
it's a great picture of proper civil disobedience because they don't care. They just keep talking about Jesus as the Messiah everywhere they go because they're commissioned by Jesus to do. This is their calling. This is what they're supposed to do. And as a result, the church just gathers great momentum, and it's growing, it's growing, it's growing, but now we come to chapter 6, and there's a problem. There is an undercurrent problem that's beginning to emerge in this ever-growing church, and this is how chapter 6 begins. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. When I read this, I take a little bit comfort as a church leader. <laughs> Just knowing that, that in the earliest church, even when it was being formed, they had issues, they had struggles, they had problems. And since that time, throughout the history of the church, in every corner of the world, every local church has had issues they've had to work through, and they do too. What was their problem? Well, as the church grew, uh, more and more people came. There were the, there were the Hebrew-speaking Christ followers. They were from the Jerusalem area. And then there, there were the, the, there were the Greek-speaking Christ followers. They were from other lands who probably became followers of Jesus during Pentecost. We read about that in Acts chapter 2. And among the Greek-speaking Christ followers were widows who apparently were being overlooked. We don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, and we're not sure but they were going without food. And that is a problem. You know, back then and around the world today, widows tend to be a very vulnerable part of society. And so there was grumbling about this for good reason. And the apostles knew, we, we, we can't let this go on. We've got to deal with this. This problem cannot be ignored. So, the 12, the, the 12 apostles. Later on, it was the apostle Paul was added to this number. But so the 12 called a meeting of, of the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Wow. Some versions of the Bible say we should not be serving tables. On first reading, you think, that sounds kind of like a very arrogant thing to say. Like, we're the 12 apostles. Sounds like a singing group. We're the 12 apostles. We're, 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 to, we're to teach the God. We're, we're to preach the gospel. We aren't going to serve tables. That's not our job. But rather than a statement of arrogance, really it's a statement of responsibility. It's, 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 it's them reminding themselves and others that we have been commissioned by Jesus himself, sent by Jesus himself to proclaim the gospel. That's our job. That is our calling and so we need to figure something out because we know that these widows need to be fed. It's, it's almost, and it's not like the apostles had never done this. If you go back to chapter 4, um, some of the, 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 the Christ followers were selling some of their property and giving the proceeds to the apostles who would then distribute it to those in need. So they had been there. They had done that. They had, they had, they had dis distributed uh, money and, and food to others to make sure their needs were being met. But the church had grown so much. And with that, the needs had expanded so much. It's almost like the apostles are sitting around saying, uh-oh, we have a problem. 
we have a really big church with a lot of needs. Now what do we do? So here comes the tipping point for the church. That happened back then, but it's our reality now. And so, brothers, this is their idea. Select seven men who are well-respected and full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Now, when I read this, I think, why, why seven men who are well-respected and full of the Spirit and wisdom? I think it's, and then it goes on, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. We can do our part, and they can do their job. But let me go back. Why seven men who are well-respected and full of spirit and wisdom? Why seven? Probably just, I don't think there's anything numerologically significant there, symbolic there. It's just they needed seven people. Why men? I think culturally that's just who they needed to choose. But, but why well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom, just to serve tables, distribute food? Why? Now, I might, I might have a little bit of insight here, having been to Africa numerous times and been part of food distribution a number of times. What do we know about hunger? Now, I know when we're done with this service, you're going to go home and somebody's going to say, I'm hungry. I, I will too. But I'm talking about legit hunger. I mean, what do we know about it? It creates panic. It creates desperation. And what do desperate people do? They'll do desperate things like jump lines and like cheat and like steel, and maybe even worse. And so what they needed were some people who were well-respected, who were trusted, who were full of the Spirit, who were honest, who, who uh, could do things in a, in a fair way, and in an impartial way, distribute food. And so they choose these seven. And this was the tipping point. And why was this the tipping point? Because now they expanded responsibilities, had more people jumping in and doing what needed to be done so the gospel could pre be preached and needs could be met. And I want to show you in a minute the results of this tipping point. But, but let's find out who they selected and why. Everyone liked this idea. And yet he chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor. Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Now, he, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and he mentions Stephen and Philip first, probably because they are featured uh, as we go into the book of Acts. In fact, the, the, next, the, the last part of chapter 6 introduces Stephen. Chapter 7 is all about Stephen. We're going to be learning about his character next week, so stay tuned for that. The rest of the five, we really don't know much about them. But what we do know is that all seven have Greek names. Now, that's important. Not only were these men well-respected, full of the Spirit, and wise, they also had the ability to speak Greek to the widows and to the broader Greek-speaking community. In other words, they were perfectly well-suited to do what needed to be done so the job could get done. The gospel is being preached. Needs are being met. And now as a result of this tipping point, look what happens. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Now just look at what happened there. And then, no, no, what if, what if one of the apostles said, you know what, I'd rather just serve food. Or one of the food distributors said, you know what, I'd like to try my hand at preaching. 
Or what if any one of them had said, you know what, that's not really for me. I really don't have time. But that's not what happened. Every one of them stepped up and they stepped into what needed to be done. And as a result, many people found God through faith in Christ. Some of the most unlikely people in the community, the religious leaders, found God through Christ. And Jerusalem itself was transformed. Now, the apostles, they died. But that wasn't God's original plan for the church anyways. They got things going. Eventually, there were elders, or or Jesus as the chief shepherd, as under-shepherds, elders, or pastors to lead the church. And typically, the, the lead pastor who preached and proclaimed the word of God would be the one in charge. But that pastor and the elders of the church, the church itself, they knew that can't be all that we do. We can't only be about proclaiming Christ. We have to be about meeting needs. We can't just be about orthodoxy. We also have to be about, here's a fancy word, orthopraxy. We have to be not just believers, but doers. Or like the book of James says, we can't just be about faith. We have to be about doing and good deeds also. And so... As a result, many, many people got involved. The Apostle Paul, he planted many churches in the the Mediterranean Sea. And and he wrote these words to the church in Ephesus. But these words aren't only for them. It's also for you and me. And this is what... This is what Paul writes. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Let me stop there. Those are are the offices of the church. Those were the positions, the leadership positions in the church at that time. And their job was to equip people, his people, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What do we see? That the job of the pastor, the job of the leaders of the church is to be sure that there are others who are stepping in to fill roles in the church so that the church can be what the church is supposed to be. The body of Christ. Jesus is the head, but one person is the arm, another one is a foot, another one's a leg, another one's a belly button, the other one's a nose, the eye, and everyone doing their part. The pastor leads the way, but making sure everyone fills a role in some way. I wonder if back in the day when, when Paul wrote that, what if they had automobiles back then? I think this is a good illustration. You know, an automobile. What, Jesus is the engine, but think of all of the other things that make a car a car. This is the car I've been driving recently. This is, this is a, it's a, it's a Bugatti. I got a really good deal on it. Um, actually, I think, this, I think this is the most expensive car in the world. Unbelievable. Um, I, traded, I traded this one in. This, is my, this was my Rolls-Royce Ghost. I don't know. Maybe you drive something more like this. This is a Yugo. Or maybe your car is somewhere in between. I don't know. I just, I just read the other day in an auction, a car sold for $2.9 million. How about that? I really don't know anything about cars. I really don't. I know how to inflate tires and change oil. 
I, I, do know, I do know this about cars, is that it won't go unless you have one of these. Now, last night's service afterwards, I had people come up and say, you know, a diesel doesn't have spark plugs. <laughs> and you know, electric cars don't have spark plugs. And I said, I already said I don't know anything about cars, all right? But do you get the idea? This is for gasoline cars. It's not going to go anywhere without a $6 spark plug. I was going to say $3, but there's inflation going on. It's not going to go anywhere. without. And that is the picture of the church. Some people are the spark plug. Some people are another part of the car. But it takes, it takes everyone stepping into a role to move forward. been a pastor for a lot, of, a lot of years now, more than I even can remember. And I have always been impressed. And here at this church, so impressed with, with the men and women, younger and older, who step into different roles, some that are visible, some that are invisible, to make the church move forward so that people within these walls can be blessed and so the people in the community and around the world can be blessed so that we can be what Jesus had in mind with the church. I asked some of the people who are engaged here in service, what does it mean to you to serve here? And I got so many responses. I want to show you a few of them on the screen. One person said, I serve in Chapel Kids because it is so important to provide opportunities for our children to learn about Jesus on their level on their level in a fun, engaging way. Another person said, I find that every time I am focused on others and not myself, especially with serving, that's where true joy is found. I like serving at the chapel because I love being able to share the gifts God gave me to help families grow in faith. Actively participating on a team each month is a way for me to love others inside the walls and a way to share my gifts while volunteering behind the scenes gives me an opportunity to serve my church, which has ministered to me for so many years. When I serve it, it is an act of love and follows in the footsteps of Jesus one more. It's a way to get active in the church, and we have been blessed from meeting so many people on and off the team. Like I said, that's just a few of the responses. So many other things that are in people's hearts that they could share. I was sitting around a table with a group of pastors the other day, chapel pastors, and we were talking about uh, all of the things that make this church go. We, we, we don't have food distribution here. We, we don't have a food pantry. Some churches do. In fact, the chapel just purchased a freezer for Father's Heart Church in downtown Sandusky. They do such a good job with food pantry. We can't do everything, so we look for people who do what we can't do or can't do nearly as well. But we do have things that go on. I just love what we have here. But we have needs. Like here, so here's an example. Like chapel kids, we have needs there. Roles to be filled in middle school, in high school. Chapel group leader. Grounds and setup, always. Meal ministry. Event child care. Prayer team. The library. I'll, do, I'll do, give you one more page. Facility maintenance. First impressions. That's like making coffee and greeting and things like that. Um, tech team. That's, that's, everything that happens in this room is because of the tech team. Security team, boy, is that relevant. Worship team. Here, here's, here's the whole list, just what, what I went through. You, you know what would happen if, if, if any one of these ministries went away? 
Or if people in mass started exiting those ministries and stopped serving there, do you know what would happen? You know what we pastors uh, of the church w- would say? We would say, uh-oh. I didn't say it earlier, but that, that's a Greek word for uh-oh. We have, we have, a, pro- we have a problem. Um, I, know of a, I, mean, I know of a church, a, lar- a very large church, where the pastor, when he greets somebody in the hallway, he, d- he doesn't know everybody, he greets somebody and he says, my name is, and they say their name, and, and he, says, he says, tell me your name and where do you serve? I know another church where the pastor will greet people and periodically he'll say, I'm so glad you're here, I'm so glad you have a seat here. Now, when you are ready, take up a towel. Take up a seat, take up a towel, which is symbolic for serving. The, the church where I used to pastor, um, we would refer to people as member ministers. You belong here, you're a minister here. You can call me Reverend Jay if you want, but I'll call you Reverend Bob or Reverend Sue or Reverend whatever your name is. Because I have a role here, but everybody should have a role here. <clears throat> um, I'm going to ask you a million-dollar question. How do you know where to serve, what role to take in your local church? How do you know? On one hand, it's, it's just simply a matter of doing what needs to be done. Um, the, the Say Yes program, in, in the, it just for an hour, it just needs to be done. We need, we need to take care of our kids. Last week, we had a major rain in Norwalk, and, and on the roof, the, 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 the drain plugged, and so the water came down and filled the atrium. This is Saturday night before the services. Filled the atrium and filled the kids' area. Inch of water. Within an hour, there were 30 volunteers there with wet vacuums, or whatever you call those things, helping out. Sometimes you just need to jump in and do what needs to be done. On the other hand... We're all wired by God to do different things, sort of like those, the ones who spoke Greek. They were just perfectly suited to step in and help the widows who were Greek-speaking. You're wired by God. to. I wish we had time. I wish we had time to, to talk through what spiritual gifts are. It's a little bit complex to talk through. I mean, if you want to look at what I'm talking about, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 gives you an idea of gifting. But let me simplify it for all of us. I love these questions. And the questions are simply this. What do you like to do? What abilities do you have? What kind of experiences do you have? What is your personality like? However you answer those questions, that's who God made you to do. That's what God has made you to be. And I would say, however you answer those questions, now I'd say, do it for Jesus. Do it for God, outside these walls or inside these walls. Some of you are already engaged in different roles here at the chapel. Thank you. Some of you might be engaged in a particular role, and you're thinking, you know what, I'd like to try something out. I've already shown you a list of the different things where we have needs. I would say this to everybody here. I don't think the chapel ever pushes anybody in any way. We are not aggressive. We, we tell people, when you are ready, take up a towel. But if you're here long enough, look for a way to jump in 
and serve. So you can be a part of the body. You can be a part of the car moving forward. You can be that spark plug that we need. So I, I want to give you an idea. And you, you, won't, you don't hear this very often in a church worship service. Pull out your phone. <laughs> Pull out your phone. I, I want to put something on the screen. And this is a way, if you're not sure how to get involved, all you have to do is to text that number and then put in the subject line, serve SAN, that just means Sandusky Campus. Just text that number, or you can take a picture of this if you want and take it home with you, and that way you've got the number plus you have a picture of me uh, at home and pointing. And... uh, but just take that with you and, and when you are ready. So what will happen is when you text that, you'll get an immediate reply that asks for your name and your email address. And then what happens is we send you an email uh, with, with the different uh, opportunities to serve here at this campus. And then within a week, a pastor will be in touch with you just to walk you through what options there are. Like I said, we do not push. We are not aggressive. We just want to help. The church needs help moving forward. But quite frankly, each of us needs to serve. You know, this is what I've noticed over the years. That when somebody says, you know what, I want to I wanna fill a role. I want to serve. You know what that becomes? It becomes a tipping point for their own spiritual life. And when we are all serving in ways that God has designed us, the church becomes what it should be. And then when people who are not here yet come here and they find God and they understand what it means to have a personal relationship with God through faith in Christ, that becomes their own personal spiritual tipping point. I want to close with these words from Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Maybe you're familiar with these words. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself is our example. This isn't something we made up. He's our example. He's given us the model. The the early church is our example. The history of the church down through the ages is our example. We just simply want to be the kind of church God has in mind. Blessing everyone here and everyone who's not here yet. This is the tipping point that we are here to serve as we preach the gospel. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your grace that you would reach down and draw us into your family through faith in Jesus alone. God, when we are ready, would you give us just a spirit to serve just as you came to serve us Give us hearts to serve others as a part of your church. Help us to be who you've called us to be, your body. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.